We're continuing looking at uh, Philippians and talking about joy. Uh, I was reminded uh, this week, uh, you might know the story about uh, Jeremy Lin. Jeremy uh, was an NBA basketball player and uh, he didn't receive a single offer for a college scholarship to play basketball. Uh, he was a walk-on at uh, uh, Harvard and uh, played for four years. And uh, when he graduated, uh, he didn't uh, get drafted into the NBA. Uh, he did uh, you know, earn an uh, opportunity uh, with the Golden State Warriors, uh, limited time, kept getting sent down to the development league, uh, was eventually cut. He was picked up by the Houston Rockets, and and basically the same story, uh, where uh, limited minutes uh, in a couple of preseason games, and then uh, cut. He was picked up by the New York Knicks, and uh, was sent down to their development league. And uh, he was recalled when uh, a couple of players got injured. And so they were kind of short-handed and they needed a guard. And so he kind of got an opportunity. And uh, February 4th, 2012, uh, he got to play significant minutes. In fact, other players on the team are like, he probably needs some more minutes. I mean, this is helpful. And uh, he started the next game. Uh, he scored 25 points in that first game and then went on as he started the next game and then continued to start. They had a seven-game win streak after losing 11 out of 13. No wonder about that. What we kind of miss, of course, is all the things that, that Jeremy did during those uh, those times getting sent down to the development league and getting opportunities to, uh, to work out. Uh, he he uh, put on extra weight and muscle. They said, uh, you know, 15 pounds of muscle. He, he worked out and added, uh, you know, height to his vertical jump and just all these extra things that, that really uh, matter. And, and then he finally got his chance. And uh, I, was, I was kind of reviewing some of his stats this morning that... Uh, uh, he scored 38 points twice, and one of them uh, against the Lakers, where Kobe only scored 34. So he's got something to brag about. And I wonder if, if that opportunity that Jeremy Lin had to play in the NBA and, and start, if you're familiar with the story, what was uh, called in the media Linsanity. Um, I just remember at the time, it was like really exciting to watch. To watch him play and to see the excitement, um, especially in uh, the, the Asian American community where there isn't a lot of players uh, playing in either collegiate or, or the NBA. And uh, it was exciting. And I, I wonder, you know, why does God give people the opportunity to do that? You know, there's plenty of other players that are working just as hard as Jeremy worked. 
right? They're, they're getting there early. They're working out. They're, they're staying late, working on their shot, all of these things. Why did he have that opportunity? In uh, 2012, there was an article in the Baptist Press where uh, Lynn talked about uh, a lot of the assumptions that people would make of him. He would show up to a basketball tournament and they would see him and they would go, no, 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 they're playing basketball, not volleyball. And, and he, no, I'm here for basketball. And, uh, and then the, some of the racial slurs that he would get because uh, being Asian, playing basketball. And yet, even in the midst of that, he, he talks about his faith. He, he uh, became a Christian in Harvard at, at, through an uh, intervarsity ministry and, uh, and, and grew in his faith and is, uh, was involved in a local church in uh, the Sacramento area and, and still. Uh, Lynn talks about how he would have to work to keep his faith strong, that he would uh, intentionally, even in the middle of working out and trying to be a better basketball player, that he had to take a day of Sabbath uh, every week. It wasn't always on Sunday, but he would take that day off. And, uh, and then for 24 hours, he would work, he would rest his, himself emotionally and physically and he would be intentional about blocking off that time with God every day. And that uh, he would have to uh, really focus on Scripture to stay grounded. It, it's hard, especially when, like, there's a movement called Lynn Sanity and your name's Jeremy Lynn. It's hard to be humble. And he would have to work on that. Uh, one of the Scriptures he talks about that was important to him was... Uh, Joshua 1 9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so, why did God give Jeremy that opportunity? Right? So, he, he not only does he uh, you know, represent people that might have a similar. Uh, racial background, they might look similar, maybe they, they come from an Ivy League school like he did, or, uh, or just people that are, in, you know, into basketball. Why did he have that opportunity? Well, not only was he a, a Christian, but he was adamant about giving back to the community because he remembered when he was in high school, and one of the players on the team uh, told him about how he hadn't got any sleep that night because of some of the gunfire in his neighborhood. He's like, so wait, you're, you're like trying to go to high school and be a student and, and you're not even sleeping because of the violence going on. And so he always worked hard and still to this day, the Lynn Foundation uh, is a, a nonprofit that works uh, in... Uh, in the community to help uh, those that are dealing with uh, food insecurity, parent education, mental health, youth, youth employment, right? That's something that he's giving back. I thought, you know, all of that, this wasn't about someone making good passes on a basketball court. It wasn't about making shots. It wasn't, it wasn't about scoring, even though those tend to be the statistics we often talk about. 
But instead, God meant for Jeremy Lin to represent him. That's why he had the opportunity he had. I want to look at at Philippians chapter 2 because that's exactly what it talks about. Chapter 2, starting in verse 12. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, uh, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may also Be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as light in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The church in Philippi was faithful. Paul expressed his appreciation with genuine affection for them. Right? We talked about that last week. Paul encouraged them to live out their faith in a way that others would see. Now think about it. I mean, we, we do that. We talk about this a lot. But how, how often would someone in the first century church, would they, it be obvious they, was a, they were a Christian and then persecution would come. Arrests would come, right? This is a serious situation. And Paul's like, look, you need to live your faith in such a way that others know. He says, you need to shine uh, like a light in the sky. Or depending on your translation, it might say, shine like stars in the sky. To how you represent the Lord in such a way as to shine like stars. How do you do that? Well, in our culture, the term stars is often used like metaphorically. For celebrities, right? Movie stars, recording artists are called pop stars. Uh, Perhaps there's stars on social media. They're called influencers. Okay, they're not called stars. They're called influencers. But we are to shine like stars, to shine as a light in the sky. It's supposed to be obvious to all. In that we demonstrate the work of Jesus in our lives. That's the point. So the first way that Paul says to do this is that to let your faith shine, you need to work out your faith, right? So, so as you are going through your life, right, your interactions with other people, your coworkers, your family, uh, acquaintances, and even strangers, right, as you do that, You're to work out your faith. You have a responsibility to do that. He says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. If our salvation is the work of Scripture alone, or by Christ alone, or faith alone, or grace alone, or the glory of God alone, if that's it, if it's nothing that we have done, right, 
then what is it that we are working out, right? What are we working on if we're saved by grace through faith? What is it that we do? So, so there is nothing we can do to earn any salvation, but that the demonstration of God at work in us is how we shine like stars. And so we do that a couple of ways. First of all, with respect and awe for God, right? That's what it means when he says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. You see, fear isn't always bad, right? If, if I have fear, there's a reason for it. Fear is based on a proper respect, and that, that's helpful. It's why burns hurt, right? If burns didn't hurt, you would keep grabbing that pot on the stove. But burns hurt, so you learn respect, and you don't keep getting hurt that way. So there is a point at which fear is beneficial. That's why Proverbs 1.7 says, Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So that's that idea that there is a proper fear. Fear of the Lord. But fear of God is respect for God. It means that we have respect for his creation. We have a respect for every human created in the Imago Dei, right? The the image of God, we have respect for that. That's why Proverbs 17.5 says, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Right? So we don't don't look around at the, the... the situation others are in and laugh about it. No, that's someone created in the image of God. And that's important because we have an honest fear and awe or respect for God. We also then care for those he cares for. But I thought the Bible says, fear not, right? Doesn't it say that? Verses like Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So definitely two places that are really clear don't be afraid. Don't fear. But, but there's other places that say you are to fear. So we're not talking about irrational fear or anxiety. We're, we're not talking about the fear of the consequences we may face for standing strong in our faith. Right? That's when it says fear not. That's what it means. Stand strong in your faith. Fear not. We're not talking about what others may think of us when we are strong in our faith. We're not, what we're talking about is fear of God. And that that there are very real consequences to sin. So the fear of God should be about respect and awe. I love the word awe because we use it 
kind of so wrong, right? We have words like awesome and awful, right? But you're kind of missing the point that you're supposed to be full of awe. Maybe not just some awe, you're supposed to be full of it, right? We're supposed to be in awe of God because of who he is and what he's done and his love for us. Let your faith shine with a humble appreciation for God's grace and mercy then. Right? That if we are truly in awe of God for who he is and what he's done, then we'll have a, an appreciation in humility. It's nothing we've done. It's what God has done. And so we'll appreciate his grace and his mercy. So we need to be clear about that. So if you understand the pain that you've been saved from, right? So, uh, so the reason the pain on the stove hurts is so you learn. And so you know that what you've been saved from is a burnt hand. And so you then have a respect for the stove. You, you go through the process, the safety protocol around the stove. Right? Grabbing the, the potholder, turning the handles in, all of those things. And the reason you do that is you learn appreciation for those safety measures because you know what you have been saved from. Uh, to be honest, I don't want to get burnt again. And it seems like it's happened to everybody. If you don't, then you're just heading for disaster. If you don't have that, healthy respect, then you're heading for disaster. Something bad is going to happen. So when you understand what you have been saved from, what God has done for you, you will have a healthy appreciation for what God is doing. Look at Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, in sin, we are owed the payment. He says the wages, right? You've earned it. It's something you have done. Therefore, here's the consequence. What we've earned then, our wage is judgment. He says death. Right? The, the penalty, the consequence of a righteous judgment on us is a death sentence. But when you understand God's mercy, you know what you've been saved from and therefore can appreciate what you've been saved to. Listen to, to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It's a longer passage, but I think it's really important. Uh, starting in verse 5. Uh, that's, actually, I've got more verses than I think I provided you, so we'll see. Uh, verse 1. If you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, 
and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our transgresses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. So he basically saying, look, you understand the condition you find yourself in apart from Christ. That's what you've been saved from for a reason. That's what mercy is. In sin, we're dead. He says children of wrath, right? The, the, the righteous judgment of God falls on those that are guilty. In sin, we deserve judgment. And God, being the truly righteous and just judge, can do nothing out of his character. He must judge us rightly. And the righteous judgment is guilty. You know what happens to a judge that doesn't pass down the right judgment? Well, in California, we get to vote, right? Next month, we get to say, hey, these are what the judges are doing. We're going to vote them out. They don't have a job anymore. If they really mess up, then they can get brought up on charges. Obviously, something illegal might be going on. So that's what has to happen to a real judge. Well, this is, this is God. God can't do anything outside of his character. So since God is merciful, he still has to follow through on judgment. And so in his, in his righteous justice, the result is guilty. It's so incredible. You, you understand what it looks like? It looks like being in a courtroom. All of the evidence is presented and you're sitting there kind of chewing on your nails because you know you're guilty. And the judge looks around and says, you know what? It's true. You are guilty. The punishment for, for this is a death sentence. And then the judge goes, you know what? I'm going to take your penalty. I will pay the price. And not only that. See, it's not limited to that. This is the incredible part. Not only did he say, there's mercy and you're not getting what you deserve. It's like the judge says, hey, do you have a place to stay tonight? And he goes, you come to my house. You're going to be part of my family. And you're like, wait a minute. I was afraid I was going to be dead and I deserved it. He says, yeah, you get to come home with me and be a part of my family now. You see, that's the grace part. Getting something we certainly don't deserve and haven't earned because we didn't get what we did deserve and had earned. Jesus says, I'll serve your sentence in your place. How then can we not be in awe and respect for what God has done for us. So here's what we do. To let your faith shine, represent. 
It means in Scripture, it often says we're ambassadors for Christ. We're his representatives. We're to uh, behave in a way that reflects him. This is the way we're to go about living out our faith. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Right? Well, look, I don't know about you, but this one hits really close to home. Because there are definitely times I have a hard time not grumbling or disputing. I think I kind of like grumbling. But it's clear in Scripture, that's not to be me. If I'm going to represent Christ, I have to say, you know what? I'm done with the grumbling. I'm done with the complaining. Instead, I need to represent Christ. Paul said, here's the reason that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's us. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be those who represent Christ in such a way that when others see us, they go, you know what? I need some of that. But we've all been around people that just complain all the time. And when we're around them, are they people that are like, I really want to be like him when I grow up? No, instead you're like, I don't want, I don't even want to be around this person. They're, they're just a downer. Right? That's not the way to represent Christ. So, so here's what we do. That if we're going to represent Christ, we need to first of all do it with positivity. Right? We need to be positive people. Right? Without the grumbling or disputing or arguing. James said, do not grumble. James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another. Brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It's, it's like this. You kind of picture that with James's word. The judge is standing there watching. And he's like, wait a minute. You were guilty. I paid the price. I invited you into my house. And then there you are over there complaining about something that doesn't really matter. The judge is standing there at the door watching. Yeah, we need to be people that are a bit more grateful for what God has done and a bit less picky about things that don't really matter. He says, don't complain against each other. Here's the example that that is so clear. In Isaiah 53, 7, this is the prophecy about Jesus, which we know then came about, but it says it so clearly. Verse 7, he was oppressed... And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus had every reason to complain. He was innocent. He went to the cross. He suffered torture in our place because of what we did. He had every reason to complain. It says he opened not his mouth. And then we find ourselves complaining about things that really aren't a big deal. When you think about it in that light. It's because we forget 
right? We get so used to the fact that we were saved by grace through faith, that we were adopted as sons and daughters of the king. We take it for granted. And so things that don't matter, like we're like, man, I can't believe this steak for dinner again, right? We, we start forgetting how truly blessed we are. So how can you stay positive when things are falling apart? I was thinking about it this way. Uh, sometimes I, I have things going on. I'm at church or some other event or, or work or whatever. And there's like a game that I want to watch that's on TV. And so I record it. And then imagine you've got it recorded. And then you like overhear someone talking about it. And you hear the score. You hear who won. Man, can't believe they did that. Or, or my phone like betrays me and I get a notification telling me who won. I'm like, oh, why did that happen? Or ESPN, come on, ESPN. Don't tell me who won. I need to watch that game myself. But you know what happens while I'm watching the game? I already know what happens. I am not invested, right? There'll be things that happen, fouls call. There's all kinds of stuff. And I go, I already know what happens. The outcome is already done. But if I can avoid all of that, right? Watch it live or avoid knowing, man, I'm into it, right? Because every little thing can affect what's going to happen. You see, why does this matter? Well, we already know the outcome of this life. It's already said and done. Jesus wins. I've read Revelation. I see how it comes out. I I hear the words of Jesus when he talks about the Son of Man coming. Right? We know the results. We know what happens. Jesus wins. So as long as I remember that, then then all the little plays that go on in my life from, from here until then are just leading up to the event, the inevitable outcome of Jesus winning. And those things seem far less significant. How can you trust God? Or when you trust God, uh, how can you not see that God's already won? So how can you not stay positive about it? With positivity and with integrity. Well, you guys know integrity. There's been a lot said about it. Uh, You can't represent God without integrity, right? So that means honesty. It means letting your yes be yes. When you say you're going to do it, you do it. You follow through. Uh, It means doing the right thing even when maybe nobody will notice. Working hard, right? Doing your best always. Being on time, right? Not being late. Just, I mean, little things that seem so minor, but all of these things build up into a reputation in which you represent Jesus, right? That's, those things do matter. Proverbs 10, 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out, right? So if you're trying to get away with something, You'll be found out. With integrity, you can represent God securely. You'll know you're doing it right 
because of that. And then also we uh, represent God with gratitude. Because you get to serve, right? So, so we add on to the end of the story, right? The judge said we were guilty. Jesus says, I'm going to pay the price. So mercy. Grace comes and, and the judge says, come to my house. Not only am I going to give you a place to stay, I'm going to make you a part of my family. I'm going to adopt you. You'll have all the benefits of children, And then he says, by the way, we've got a big job to do and you have a part in it. Me? Like I get to do something for you? I've already been blessed in so many ways. And he says, yeah, but we've got work to do because there's others that need to join in. There's others that need to hear the truth. You haven't earned anything. It's by uh, God's grace alone. That's why Paul, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul said this. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He goes, look, I finally understand there's so many things that go on in my life that don't matter near as much as Jesus and him crucified. Paul was always remembering from what he had been saved. Right? The life that he had been saved from, the the things that he had done and where he had been, and he understood the true blessing that he had been given a part to play. That's why Paul says things like, I am the least of the apostles. I am the greatest of sinners because he understood that's perspective. And when you understand God's mercy and God's grace, how can you not be positive? And represent him well. I've got some next steps for you today. Uh, First of all, uh, schedule my time with God for quiet time. Bible reading, memorization, and prayer. You want to make sure you're being positive. Start your time. Start your day with the Lord in prayer. Asking God to remind you, keep you focused, be, be grateful. Uh, Second, that I would thank God for his mercy and his grace. We need to continually do that. That's how we don't take him for granted. You know, I I made the joke that that it would be like uh, we, we so get used to the blessings God has for us, we start to take them for granted, like having steak every day and, and then taking it for granted instead of how blessed we are for so much. So I need to make, take time to thank God. And then the last one, pray and ask God with whom I should be sharing the gospel. See, that's my job, right? If you want to understand how you get to serve, it is that. How should you be sharing the gospel? So thinking about it, just looking at the calendar, we're coming up on Easter again. What a great opportunity over the next few weeks as we get close to Easter to be reflecting, praying through God, who can I share about Jesus with? And my coworkers and my neighborhood, my family and, and others. How can I make it clear how truly grateful I am for what God has done? 
who should I be telling about Jesus? And maybe it's inviting them to church or some other event 